0: Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCover.com. I am John Negroni, and I am from the Internet, California. And from the Internet, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend and also writes about film for the playlist. The young folks, we got this I could go on all day. It's Will Ashton. Hello. And from the broadband basement, he's our sound producer and all around film fan. Soundmaster Maverick Hines is here. Hey,
1: everybody. Two weeks in a row. New record. Oh,
0: yeah. A yeah. New record for 2018, it feels like. <laughs> All right, this week we have an excellent show. We are going to be reviewing Christopher Robin, a wide release from Disney, a live action, not remake, I guess, but a continuation of the Winnie Pooh's stories with Ewan McGregor. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. And later we're going to be talking about The Spy Who Dumped Me, Black Klansman, and a couple of other surprise mini-reviews coming up. But. First off, let's do our off topics. Um, we have a new anyway. That's all I got coming this next week, and I'm not going to spoil what it is quite yet. But you may, it may be um, Mission Impossible uh, related. So I guess that is kind of completely spoiling what it's going to be. But uh, that's going to be coming. <laughs> they 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 needed more time. They didn't come out with a new episode this week because it's it's that ambitious. Uh, it's it's all of the Mission Impossible films. So that's going to be uh, I think a good discussion. And then also we have our Q and A episode coming up. Uh, so don't forget to send us your questions we've been getting questions um they they've been they've been interesting so far i almost thought about bringing one to the show today just to ask uh just just to give everybody a teaser but uh for now send all your questions to cinemaholicspodcast podcast gmail.com or a uh, comment on this episode description wherever you find your podcast wherever you can send us uh any sort of message and that should be good but that's all we have for off topics this week i'm ready to talk about christopher robin i i uh, this this is a movie that, uh, really, I, I I was digging through some old tweets uh, the other day, and I found when I first uh, reported on this story of, of Christopher Robin being turned, and they, I heard they were doing a live-action Winnie the Pooh movie. It was before we knew that Mark Forster was going to be doing it. And uh, I think uh, it was, at the time, I think they, they had already talked about Alex Ross Perry working on the screenplay, which I, I remember a lot of us were kind of surprised by that he's definitely known for some darker stories uh so later on i think the the script was rewritten a few times by other people including tom mccarthy from spotlight and and now we have this movie it's kind of a quirky little thing but uh as i said it's a new wide release uh it's from mark forster he did the films loungers everything put together monsters ball uh, stranger than fiction Uh, i think he's pretty well known at this point for the kite runner quantum of solace and uh, World War Z, which Will and I disagree on, quality-wise. And uh, all I see is you more recently. And also, uh, Finding Neverland, which is probably the closest thing to Christopher Robin, his filmography includes. Would you agree with that, Will Ash? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I'm not being uh, superficial here, but uh, uh, it's an interesting filmography. Do you like his films, or do you hate him? Like, what's up?
2: Um, I don't know. I, I think he's very mixed like you said, I mean, if you just look at that filmography, it's so diverse in genre and tone that I think sometimes he's really good, and sometimes I just don't think his films are very good. I'm actually, I'll, I'll stand up for uh, *Quantum of Solace*. I don't think it's the best Bob movie by any means. It's probably the weakest of the Daniel um, Craig ones, but. I, I think that one's okay. I'm, yeah, I still I'm
0: not think Spectre is the weakest, personally, but uh, I guess uh, people do appreciate... I know people appreciate
2: a lot of the set pieces in Spectre, but... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's alright. I, I think there's a lot to like in that film as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, but World War Z, I think it's just a big mess. Um, a I do like Monster's mess.
0: Ball. Come on. <laughs> What's it? It's a watchable mess.
2: It's barely a watchable... I mean, there's one really cool, uh, like, chase scene. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, in the Like 25 minute mark but other than that it's just just not a good film in my opinion Uh,
0: i guess the jerusalem scene is what you're talking about i guess i don't remember it too well i remember every beat every line of dialogue Um, i didn't john talks about that movie
1: daily like he's just always talking about that jerusalem scene i'm
0: thinking about doing a podcast it ain't (laughs) it ain't world war z until it's world war z um yeah i mean (laughs) wait what
1: World War, War A, a to, Z. to Z.
0: World War A to Z. See, this is why we pay you the big bucks, well, man. Um, and then also, we didn't mention Machine Gun Preacher or uh, Stay, which uh, two movies I haven't really seen. But yeah, I haven't
2: seen that. I know yeah. a lot of people like Stay, but I
0: haven't seen it. Well, anyway, that's Mark Forster, uh, interesting filmmaker. I, I agree with you. It's definitely a mixed, uh, mixed bag there. But in this live-action Winnie the Pooh. Uh, of course was based on the AA Milne stories from is that how you pronounce his name Milne I think so I, I didn't do any research into this uh, but yeah the the Mal- stories from the, back in the 20s and 30s Say again maybe Malay? Milne, Milne I I don't know we're probably going to butcher it no matter what but um <laughs> yeah so this this film stars Ewan McGregor uh, he as a uh, a working class kind of dad in London he you know, he just, he just needs to, he, he just needs to learn how to be a kid again, right? Works too hard, kind of neglecting his family. His uh, wife is played by Haley Atwell. Um, he has a young, a young child. Uh, I, forget, I forget the name of that, the young actress who plays his kid, but the film, the human characters include Mark Gaddis, Adrian Scarborough, Roger ashton griffiths and Paul Shahidi, and the voice cast, um, we have Jim Cummings, who of course plays Winnie the Pooh, and I believe he does Tigger as well. Now, Tigger is credited to Chris O'Dowd for some reason, but uh, I'm pretty not in the sure. Film. That's what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure Jim Cummings voices both well, characters. Well,
2: yeah, there was a controversy about this. He was credited. I think they changed it last minute, but I don't know why.
0: Uh, yeah, that's I don't know if
2: it was a scheduling mishap or they just weren't getting what they wanted.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense, because as soon as I heard Tigger talking in the movie, I was like, this is not Chris O'Donnell, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, but yeah, Toby Jones plays Owl, Peter Capaldi plays Rabbit, uh, Sophie Okanito as King- Mrs. Kanga, and Nick Muhammad as Piglet. And uh, I don't think Rue is uh, credited, which is probably probably the bi- film's biggest flaw, um, if we want to just get right <laughs> to it. Um, but anyway, uh, without further ado, let's start with you this week, uh, Maverick Hines. <gasps> Yeah, I know. You you just saw this one pretty fresh. You took your wife to go see it, and, like, uh, like five hours ago. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. What's what's your deal with uh, with Winnie the Pooh in general? I don't think it's a. I don't think this is a topic or animated or story that we've ever really talked about on the show.
1: No. I. I mean, I don't. I don't have a ton of Winnie the Pooh history in my life. Right. I mean, I think like everyone else, I had a little bit of Winnie Pooh as my childhood, but other than that, you know, I'm not. I'm not like a diehard. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah,
0: you know they don't like as your wallpaper or anything. No. I mean, I
1: do, but I took that down. Um, no, but yeah, it's I, I'm not. Yeah, like I, I, you know, I don't have a ton of ton of Winnie the Pooh history in my life. But that was cool because it got to come to this. You know, pretty pretty blank. You know, just like whatever. I'm here for. You know, take it in. Yeah, yeah. You're
0: interesting because you get to kind of absorb it without the nostalgia or anything. You can just sort of appreciate it for what it is if you like it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I if I remember there was. Uh, a live-action Winnie the Pooh story that came out a couple years ago, right? Or something like that? No. Uh, last year. Was it last
0: year? Oh, Goodbye, Christopher Robin. I yeah. think you referring to the 2011 animated movie that they did.
1: I haven't seen either of those, okay. is the point I was getting I to. Big surprise for everybody. I know. I haven't seen something leading up to a new movie. But!
0: <laughs> that movie, to be fair, Goodbye, Christopher Robin, was more about A.A. Milne. The yeah for Robin's father and it ah. was, yeah it was it was definitely more like a biopic kind of gotcha, thing. right gotcha
2: um, people thought this movie was depressing <laughs> that one's uh, certainly more darker and gloomier than this one even
1: yeah yeah it but had ha- goodbye in the titles. <laughs> yeah <laughs> spoiler alert I guess I don't know uh, anyway that that being said um, I think I went into this expecting it to be I don't know I just I don't I didn't think I was going to take anything away from it or. Really, ha- I kind of expected a Paddington situation for me, or but it Which was- you didn't
0: like, to be clear. You're sort of the contrarian on Paddington.
1: Okay, but I feel like you love Paddington Paddington so much that you frame my views on it as like super negative. I didn't like hate the movie by any means. I just didn't acted like you. I just didn't love it. Like I wasn't like you're the
2: only person I know that dislikes this movie.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's okay. It's just your personal
0: enjoyment again.
1: But I didn't like. I didn't dislike Paddington as a quality of movie thing. I just like that style of movie was just you know i think
0: my love of it turned you
1: off to the film that's probably also it i really don't like agreeing with you on things um but anyway get a heart someday (laughs) me too man uh that being said i will say i was surprisingly like okay with this i and i don't know i feel like there's probably a better way to say that but like i guess i was just surprised at how much i wasn't mad and bored and like Mm. over it um it was just a fun little like whatever movie like you know and my wife Andrea I saw it with her and she really liked it and there were multiple times where she audibly went ah
0: <laughs> so like, I had a feeling Andrea because I watched the first Paddington with with her and she loves these kinds of films I knew she was gonna yeah
1: right up her alley yeah. uh but yeah so it was it was a fun little experience you know it wasn't like I, I don't know that I necessarily was like super invested in all the kind of you know lows low points and high points stuff like that you know it wasn't like a gripping film for me by any means but like it was fun and i, I, wasn't, I wasn't yeah i wasn't regretting that i saw it you're
0: like heavily thinking about or overanalyzing
1: yeah like it's sure. not gonna ruin right. my day thinking about what happened to Pooh or you know like anything like that. but like that makes one of us yeah um but like yeah it was it was fun and it was dare i say a cute movie
0: you don't say that often too, I, so I generally don't like that, that means word. A lot yeah. coming from that's you.
1: about as all that's that's all I've got. It's just cute movie. Put it in the presses. I don't know.
0: Cute movie, yeah, that's gonna be in the trailer now. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 that's kind of my reaction. I've seen... We were talking about a little bit about this before we started recording. There's a little bit of a negative kind of underswell coming for this movie. I think most reviews are more mixed, you know, mm-hmm. kind of closer to what you're talking about, like your kind of mood on the movie. And I've seen some critics be, like, really, really hateful toward this movie, like, really don't like it, really consider it just kind of bad. And I, I kind of am really hesitant to, like amplify that as some sort of consensus opinion because i see so many people really getting something out of this movie um for reasons that maybe we'll get into um will ashton where, where are you at with this one are you a little bit closer to maverick or yeah
2: well i think i was looking forward to it more than maverick um i grew up with the winnie the pooh characters i remember one of the movies was my first theatrical experience back in i think 2000 so i mean, I I, see I, your winnie the pooh wallpaper it's still up yeah Yeah, no, I mean, I've grown up, but I think, like, most people, like, besides the um, 2011 movie, I haven't really kept up with the Winnie the Pooh characters. I mean, you just kind of get to a certain age, and then you just kind of move on, I believe. And it's it's good for this movie to kind of touch on, I think, I think that's what they're going for, because it's not really clear who the audience is. Because I think it's a little too, like, glum for kids, and I think it might be a little too formulaic for adults. But I think it's going for something, like, kind of in between, like, someone who has an association with these characters, but hasn't really revisited them much in uh, recent years. And I guess, given today's kind of gloomy state of affairs, it's kind of nice to be revisited by these characters.
1: It, it who, is, uh, right,
2: like a movie that's it's about nostalgia, but nostalgia kind of
0: fits into the theme. It's not like, you know, yeah. they're being nostalgic for the sake of it, right?
2: Right. Well, I mean, I think the obvious comparison here is Hook, which I think you took a little bit of umbrage with. Last week, but I think that's a pretty apt comparison, especially because I re oh I watched it for the first time just before I saw Christopher Robin, and I, there are quite a few similarities. I mean, I think Cook is a little more willing to get weirder and darker than this movie is. I think this is still ultimately just a modern kids Disney film with a little bit of like a little like a sadness the or uh, mm-hmm. melancholy I guess would be the word kind of trace inside. But um, yeah, I mean, I think overall i enjoyed it i do think the whole dad being too busy to work with his or with be with his family angle was kind of cliched at this point point. and i do feel like the first uh i guess maybe first half of it feels a little formless like it's kind of it, it took me a little while to figure out exactly where it was going but overall i mean i think the performances especially from um jim cummings are quite good and i think the special effects are really well realized and uh I wasn't really sure what Alex Ross Perry was going to bring, as well as Tom McCarthy, and I forget who the third screenwriter was. But Allison Schroeder. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, those are all different sensibilities, as we were saying with Mark Forrester as well. And I was worried that they were going to kind of not mix and mesh well. But I think there is—you can tell like you, that each uh, artist is kind of bringing their own thing at times. But overall, there is a pretty consistent tone to the film. If I'm um, well, sometimes, but for the most part, there is a consistent. Good-heartedness to it that I think is very inviting, and there's a consistent warmth to it that I think helps balance out between some of the sadder elements of it. So overall, I don't think it's perfect, but I did enjoy it.
0: I think I think it's fair to say the movie, as when it first started out under Alex Ross Perry, I, I do get the sense that it was much much gloomier, much more dour, and I think that's why they sort of brought on Tom McCarthy, Allison Schroeder, Mark Forster, and they they each kind of sort of sort of livened it up a little bit you kind of get the sense that the third act kind of came from them a little bit more um and I, I think i definitely enjoyed this one a little bit more than you two and i i think i just i i think i have some differing opinions not that i think it's a better movie because of this but i, I think i did come away from the movie a little bit differently because you know i've, I've i was thinking that too during the movie i was like You know, yeah, they're doing the workaholic dad thing where Christopher Robin is presented as as this guy who you you have sort of that like kind of Pixar's up in the opening where very emotional, you know, very like a lot of tragic stuff happens. There's literally a World War Two scene in a Winnie the Pooh movie, which is just bonkers to me. But, you know, I I really thought that it was kind of effective because they interlace those scenes with, you know, the Hundred Acre Wood characters kind of reacting to Christopher Robin being away from them. And that's why when I sort of get the sense of like, well, where is this movie going? I I, th- I think it, it's pretty basic to me. I think it's just about a guy who had a connection with these characters and it's about them drifting apart and maybe coming back together again. And when we go through the scenes of like, you know, what Christopher Robin's life is like as this kind of adult, I think a lot of the times when when we have these workaholic dad characters or we have these like guys who just want to provide for their family they can sort of sometimes the script can paint them in a really negative light like they can be less sympathetic because you want the lesson to be you know you need to spend more time with your kids and i just don't think that mov- this movie is only saying that which is like why i kind of disagree that it's like it's oh it's very tropey and cliche because it, especially in the scenes where you have the dad talking to his daughter, it's it's less about like him being like, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work. And it's more about he he's just sort of forgotten like the joys in life. And like you you do get the sense that he's trying, but he doesn't know how to articulate what he really like he can't really communicate with his kid as well. And I think he's more sympathetic to me than a lot of other of those tropes that we've seen. Like I, I kind of was with him. I kind of was feeling like, you know, like I understood where he was coming from. And that's why when like he first kind of is reintroduced with poo and everything, I, I think the movie is less about like, Oh, you need to like be a kid again. And it's more a movie about a guy who takes his childhood and uses it to communicate with his kid and create a connection with his kid. And that to me is a little bit different. Like we have seen it before, I think a few times, but the movie does that so differently. I, I don't want to over-criticize the film or like kind of, diminish what it is trying to do because I do think that message is there and I think it's present throughout because the third act is all about these worlds colliding and I don't know I think the movie is a bit more cohesive than some people give it credit for Um, I I do sort of agree that I, I can see kids getting a little bit bored by this one but I don't know if I super agree that it's too formulaic for most adults I think I, I do have like uh, this feeling that people will connect with it because it kind of goes to somewhat darker places uh, that are a little bit more like heavy. Like there are some scenes kind of in the middle that are, I, I just think, really edited well, however they are, like with the mood and the tone. It's it, it does sort of like blast you in different directions emotionally. But I, I don't know. I think for the most part, it works. Um I don't know. Do you agree with any of that, Maverick Hines? Do you think I'm insane? Where are we at?
1: Yeah, no, I think I'm right there with you. Where, like, you know, at, at the beginning, I was kind of worried about, like, oh, the working dad thing, right? Like, it, they kind of start playing it and you're like, oh, okay, so that's what this is going to be. But I, I think you're right in the way that they're not playing it out. I, I I what you just said was really good. The like the conversations he has with his daughter are where we see like oh this isn't that same old thing, right? Like it's a little bit different cuz like you said it's not just all about work. Like he's just trying to find a way to like be happy and connect. And yeah, and
0: he's always staying busy.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's more about like a guy who just kinda seems out of touch and like has kind of lost his childhood and lost his joy than it is about like, oh, I just gotta get back to work. Where you know that's still there. But like I think it's more about what the stuff you said. So I'm I'm right in line with you and the agreement on that. I generally
0: think he's he's just like a likable character. And I think they they did the smart thing of when he goes to like his suitcase job, you know, he He's not an Ebenezer Scrooge or anything. He he literally he legitimately wants the best for his employees, and I think this movie balances the right. Like it's not wrong for him to care about these responsibilities. Yeah, like he he's in the right. Like he's trying to help people. He's trying to. I think the movie gets a little confusing with some of its. Uh, some some of the ideas going around, like the boss character kind of being like the silver spoon in his mouth character. I, I don't think they they fully deliver all of that. I think the the solutions that happen in the third act are a little silly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I don't know. What, what's your reaction to that, Will?
2: Uh yeah, no, I I agree with most of what you said. I do think, like you said, I mean, I think the little moments are what stand out to me more than like the tropey stuff we were talking about. I mean, when I say it was a little maybe too formulaic for adults i mean like i i don't see like all of them being taken back but i see some maybe being like yeah this is this is a little too familiar but i agree i think they develop the characters enough to the point where you do like you understand where chris is coming from you do understand that Winnie the Pooh just wants that guy and you can understand that the parents and the daughter just want their father or husband there um yeah i think that stuff works i don't think it could i don't think it's like great i think it could have been better more fleshed out that's i guess more where i'm coming from whereas i felt like they valued cuteness over complexity but um i don't know it did actually kind of remind me a little bit of uh pete's dragon last year where there is like you're saying like sure but there is like like a little bit of an indie sensibility to that movie right well i'm saying
0: i want to be super clear i think pete's dragon is a much better film than this one sure
2: yeah no, I mean, I agree with that. I'm just saying like Pete's Dragon, there is like that kind of like uh, indie sensibility that I felt like was captured here at times. Like there's certainly some shots um, towards the beginning that feel like more like an indie film than like something you expect from a multimillion dollar Disney film. Yeah, and I think those some touches.
0: of the scenes in the Hundred Acre Wood like toward the middle kind of felt to me. And, right.
1: Like, yeah. uh, when, when those scenes were happening in the middle – And there was kind of a scene where stuff's a little bit like foggier. It's like a little bit different portrayal. I I leaned over to my wife. I was like, this would be a great horror movie right now. Like it was (laughs) just so loving it. I was loving the The cinematography was great.
2: But yeah, I mean, I think, I think those little touches, I mean, my favorite scenes were always the, uh, scenes between Christopher Robin, Winnie Pooh, where they're just sitting and talking. Yeah.
0: That a hundred percent. Those are the, the delights of the film. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's like very reminiscent of like the books and the cartoons, and I think those scenes are exceptionally well written. I think that's where you really feel Tom McCarthy and Alex uh, Perry Ross come into form. Ross Perry. Sorry, Ross Perry. I knew I was going to mix it up.
0: <laughs> I, I was feeling it, too, when I was saying it earlier.
2: Because, uh, like, it's three first names. So I was like, I'm going to mix this up. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? Um, well, I guess Perry isn't tech. Or is Perry a first name? I don't think uh, it is. Actually. Yeah,
0: Perry from Scrubs. Perry Cox.
2: Sure. OK. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I agree. I think those are the scenes that really stand out. I think those are what really make this movie so special or what's going to make it special for a lot of people is like those scenes where you really get the value of the film and see what they're going for. Um, I don't know if it would have been quite as impactful if we didn't have those scenes.
0: Yeah. Um, So this isn't really a spoiler for the film. You kind of get it from the trailer and it's, it's a conceit that is kind of shown early on, but Uh, One thing that, you, you, as you watch this movie, you might wonder toward the beginning is, like, is this all in Christopher Robin's head? You know, is he just imagining these stuffed animals? Is it like Calvin and Hobbes, where it's the rest of the world, these are just fake imaginary friends or stuffed animals? Maybe they don't even exist physically. But as this movie progresses, like, you quickly find out that they actually like when Winnie the Pooh is in London people it's Paddington you know like people can tell that he's real and that he comes to life and it it isn't just in Christopher Robin's head and it's something that the movie doesn't dwell on too much of like how is this possible Um, and but it is a movie that if you take it literally I do think that that can throw a lot of people off uh, you know slightly and it's an interesting decision for them to make one that I think basically works. I, I don't, I don't see how they could have done it a different way. Like I kind of like the way that they use it to, as I was mentioning early, earlier to sort of combine, um, or th- they use it in a way where Christopher Robin is able to bring his childhood past to his family. And, uh, he's able to use that to connect with them and to sort of like rediscover like joy and, and, uh, things like that. And they get to be, take part in that. Uh, but what, what do you think? Well, do you think that was a good call?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think with Paddington, I liked it more because they didn't get so caught up in that. It's just like, there's a talking bear. Like, no one's going to question it. Like, don't Mm -hmm. worry about it. And I feel like that kind of adds to the whimsical factor of it. And this movie, it seemed like they were kind of caught between sensibilities where, like, they had to establish some rules and then sometimes they have to throw those rules out the window. And it was like, it kind of felt like a mishmash of uh, rules in that sense. Like, I I don't know if I really understood exactly what they were going for, but I do think it works ultimately. I mean, I I think the... the, um, third act can be a little rushed as far as uh introducing the daughter and the mom to chris robin's perspective i think that kind of comes a little too hastily but it's not overall, graceful I,
0: but they they make it work
2: yeah sure i, I, I mean it's it not i good. think it works better with the daughter i think the mom is more which just she's like okay She's just gonna have to go with this, I guess, because we don't have time to develop this.
0: <laughs> right, right. I, I don't know. I, I think that they handled probably the best way that they could given the time frame. But um, all right, let's let's jump, jump into our final thoughts and grades. Uh, starting with you, Maverick. How would you how would you rate this one?
1: Yeah, like I said, I, I think you know even though I wasn't expecting much, I think I was pleasantly surprised in the fact that I just you know I saw a fun little experience that had some surprisingly. Uh, good moments with some great like cinematography and you know good settings and stuff. So uh, for me, this is i uh, I'm still trying to decide. It's hard for me between like a B and a B minus. Um, I think I'm gonna land on just like a regular B though. I think even though it's got some you know some negative negative reviews and stuff, I think it's a pretty fun experience overall. And if I wasn't bored during a movie like this, I feel like most people can enjoy it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I was between a B and a B minus as well. I was leaning more toward B minus when I first saw it. If only because I, I really thought that. Too much of the film was a bit unoriginal, and the third act didn't quite work for me in all the all the different ways. But the more I've, I've thought about the film, I'm, I'm a, little, a little bit closer to it be. I think I think this one is going to reach more people than uh, maybe I even assumed first seeing it. I think people are going to get something out of it, and it's worth checking out. And uh, you know, as far as like this version of a movie where you take the Christopher Robin character and you sort of reimagine him years later. They, they do a pretty competent job. I, I, I wish that we, you know, as Will kind of alluded to, I wish they could have gone full throttle on other aspects of it that it, it might have really stood out as something really special. Um, but as it stands, it's it's just fine. And uh, what about you, Will?
2: Yeah, I'm actually uh, right around the same area as you guys. I'm between a B and a B minus. And um, I don't know. I was it over. I think I'm going to go with a B minus. It's a solid film. I do think the second act is probably the strongest, like you were saying. I do think the third act feels a little too hasty, and I think the first act could have been tightened up a little bit. But overall, when it works, it really works. I think Jim Cummings really stands out here. I hope there's like some voice acting recognition that he can get, because I think yeah. his performance is really tremendous. Um, and I, I do think, like you said, the cinematography is good. There are some beautiful moments inside. Um, it. I think the Calvin Hobbes comparison is pretty apt. I don't think it's quite that good, but when it is, that like it gets to that point level better than i've seen most other films with stuffed animals i can almost <laughs> assuredly say um yeah it's it's a pretty good film it actually kind of reminded me of a book i read in high school called the towel poo where it takes like these very kind of adult concepts and puts them through these kind of wholesome winsome characters and i think in that sense it's going to really stand out for people but i don't think it's a classic
1: all right yeah and
0: Standard August movie. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, Yeah. That's our review of Christopher Robin. Maverick, you have to run.
1: Yeah, sorry, guys. I wanted to make sure I was here for the uh, main review, but I don't have anything for mini reviews because I spent all week crying over season one of BoJack Horseman again. That's right.
0: You've been really exploring. Don't forget to listen to that bottle episode. It's still Mm. in our archives.
1: All right, guys. Well, you have a good day, and I'll see you guys next week.
0: See you, Maverick. All right. Let's get into our mini reviews, starting with The Spy Who Dumped Me. Now, the spy who dumped me is obviously a play off of the James Bond film, but of course, most people are going to remember the uh, the spy who shagged me. I think is more.
2: That's the uh, probably, Austin Powers one, right?
0: Right, of course. I think that's the more pop culturally relevant.
2: Yeah, film. The spy love me. Yes.
0: <laughs> so anyway, uh, the spy who dumped me is a new kind of action comedy. I think action comedy is the right way to, to talk about this one. It's from director Susanna Fogel. It was co-written by her and David Eiserson. Uh, the movie stars Mila Kunis, uh, Katie McKinnon, Justin Theroux, and Sam Heughan. And it's about these two two young women who uh, they, they find out that Mila Kunis' character uh, just got dumped by a spy. She didn't know he was a spy. And it kind of launches her into this uh, whirlwind, uh, you know, I was going to say worldwide, worldwide whirlwind adventure throughout Europe where these two characters... Really, uh, some, some some crazy things uh, go down. This comes from, comes to us from Lionsgate. Uh, it's been getting kind of mixed reviews, but I think some people are kind of coming away from it, uh, kind of enjoying it for what it is, uh, but not taking it too seriously. Where do you stand on this one? Will, I, I talked about it very briefly last week. Uh, tell us about it.
2: Well, I was hoping to see it. Um, I unfortunately had to get called into work, but I it looks like oh, sorry. it's sorry, something- For some reason,
0: I thought you saw this.
2: No, you're okay. Yeah, I, I was planning to. It was like a very last minute thing where I was. I saw Christopher Robin. I was going to see Spy Dump right after, and I got a call from work, so I had to leave. So it was unfortunate. I wanted to check it out. I still,
0: I still want you
2: to check this one. It is such a weird movie.
0: It's very R rated, um, because, it, and I wish, I wish I could go into detail. Like, if I could, I could probably sell this movie to you by telling you certain things that happen. That are so outlandish, so gory, and not just gory, but like stylistically gory, which you just don't expect when you watch this movie. It, it's like, especially because the first thirty minutes are pretty awful. You know, it's it's very slow pace. Like, it drags you through this sort of introduction of who these characters are, and the movie kind of knocks you for a loop for like what it's actually going to develop into, but it actually works to the movie's favor because it develops into something much better than I think the opening premise suggests. And for the most part, it's pretty funny. And when it isn't funny, the action is good. is pretty good. So you're, you're kind of sitting through like some very decently choreographed, action scenes and shootouts and car chases. Like there's a shootout in here that felt like it was straight out of Deadpool. And you just, again, you just don't expect it out of this movie. And it's not to say any of the material is great. I mean, I don't think people are, you know, I think the mixed kind of reviews that it's getting are pretty fair because I don't think people know what to make of it. But I think this is one of those kind of like a cult classic in the making a little bit, like one of those movies that a lot of people really enjoy kind of as a guilty pleasure, kind of film um i think this is the movie that i thought i think this is the movie people saw in spy the melissa mccarthy vehicle that came out a couple years ago that was a very foul-mouthed kind of uh, r-rated spy movie with a female lead where they it really just goes for it that was a movie that just didn't work for me personally but i remember a lot of, it did work for a lot of other people and i think spy yeah, they- who dumped me is kind of close to that yeah
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I I was going to say, I mean, that seems like the most uh, reasonable comparison is that movie. I did enjoy Spy more than you did, so I'm curious to check this one out.
0: Yeah, if you enjoyed Spy, I think that you should give this one a shot. I think that it might surprise you. Uh, There is just some interesting work going on here. I do want to mention Barry Peterson is the cinematographer. Uh, I think people know him best for Zoolander. And uh, I think that that's uh, he. He was a great DP for that movie, and you do get that sense of style here. I think that it's. Uh, I I, th- I think that it's it's a good. It, he was a good hire. I think that all all of the people working on this film. It just feels like they they're all for it. Like they're all game to make the best version of this material possible. I think they have a starting point that isn't very solid, but uh, I, I always enjoy to see actors especially with mila kunis and kate mckinnon who have just a wonderful energy that they bring to both together and to this material i think mila kunis uh, often gets underrated as a comedic actress i agree and, uh, she really is so solid and she should be headlining plenty of other films i, I want to see her in some some really great ensemble casts I, I these bad moms movies i think have poorly used her but uh, and then, yeah, and then Kate McKinnon, I would say the same. I really didn't get much from her in Ghostbusters. I think some yeah, people disagree. I think some people did actually yeah, yeah, I hear you. I think some people did consider her probably one of the few things they liked about the Ghostbusters movie.
2: Uh, yeah, that's about where I am. I, I think the movie's not perfect, but I did enjoy her performance quite a lot. I,
0: I think she's I think she's much better realized in this one personally. Um and it's not to overhype the movie. I again most of it, it it does kind of land with a thud joke wise. A lot of jokes fall flat, but because it's such a cheesy, whatever movie, if you're game for it, I think that you're going to have a good time. I certainly did. I I was very surprised walking away from this movie, kind of really feeling surprised by how much I, I I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, it's even a movie I would consider watching again, you know, maybe renting it and introducing it to a couple of people who I think might enjoy it. And, uh, that that's spy who dumped me I, I give it kind of kind of on the low side of b minus it's it's really schlocky you know i don't want to i don't want to make it sound like it's something that people are definitely going to like it does feel like that kind of c plus movie that uh, i think is the when it works for people it's gonna work plenty but i want to bump it up to a b minus if only because i do really like that susanna fogel she really did just take something that had a a rough premise, which I think she she also worked on the screenplay. But uh, I, I think that she did she did a great job here. I think she and she and Barry Peterson uh, worked pretty well together. And I think the casting of Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon was pretty inspired for the most part. Uh, Justin Theroux, not not quite much of a standout here, but Sam Hewen, definitely. Uh, I, I want to see more from this actor, uh, who I'm I, not as familiar with him honestly. Uh, But that's Spy Who Dumped Me. And uh, Will, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it if you get a chance to to see it soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm disappointed I didn't get to see it. I would have if I didn't get called into work. So hopefully I get to see it soon. All
0: right. That's Spy Who Dumped Me. Let's talk about Black Klansman. Uh, Will Ashton, you saw this one. Um, This is, of course, the new Spike Lee film. Tell us everything.
2: Yeah, like you said, this is a new Spike Lee movie, and it's also produced by um, Jordan Peele. Which is uh, quite the get these days. Um, it's a true story based on a real well, I don't know how much of it's true, but from what I can gather, um, there was a rookie cop who uh, found the number for the Ku Klux Klan and like the newspaper.
0: Yeah, and, the, it's uh, about Ron Stallworth. He wrote a Ron book, Stallworth, Yeah yeah, he wrote a book about this movie, and this movie is adapted from the book. I think that he yeah. actually helped them. Um, I think
2: it's one wise. of those cases though where like they bought the rights and started to make the movie before the book came out because the book only came out I think last year or something. Anyway, yeah, so he see he gets a number for the Ku Klux Klan in the newspaper and he gets through this uh, big elaborate scheme to essentially try to take down the Ku Klux Klan. but as a rookie mistake, he actually uses his real name when he calls them. so he has to have another cop played by Adam Driver assume his identity when he infiltrates the uh, white supremacists and uh, it's, it's a really kind of crazy little movie. And uh, I would say it's probably, um, probably one of the best Spike Lee movies we've gotten in quite a while. Um, There's so much here to like and appreciate. It's going to be a little long. It's about two and a half hours. That might be a bit much for some. I do think there's a segment kind of early in the film with Alec Baldwin that might be a little divisive. I personally didn't think Mm. it was necessary, but, I can see why some people will appreciate it. It's certainly a Spike Lee touch. But um, overall, no, I think this is a really crowd-pleasing, engaging movie that's not only uh, speaking about something that's really relevant, but doing it in a way that's really magnetic and really going to uh, you know get people's attention. Yeah, I mean, the performances here really stand out. I think Adam Driver has proven himself multiple times at this point that he's a great up-and-coming actor. But uh, I think what's really the person's really going to stand out, and I'm blanking on his name, I feel bad, but... Because I don't want to call him Denzel Washington's son, John but, David uh, Washington. Yeah, there you go. Thank you.
0: <laughs> he is the oh. son of Denzel. Yeah,
2: I know, but I didn't want to just—I didn't want to make it sound like it was nepotism. Like he does quite a good job. He was also—he's also in um, Ballers right now. I've only watched the first couple episodes of Ballers, so I wasn't super familiar with his work beforehand. But he really stands out. He does have some of his dad's like natural kind of screen charisma. I'm but, uh, so
0: excited to see more from this guy. Yeah, he's he's I mean, more he's, of a professional athlete in recent in no, oh really? recent years. Yeah, yeah, he's a running back. Yeah, he played for the uh, oh gosh, um, the Rams. Uh, okay, a, yeah, back in 2007, 2006, yeah, I mean, something
2: like that. You know me, I know nothing about football, so <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know he had that professional history behind him. But but um, I think
0: I think Ballers was like probably the his first like big role i want to say like I, yeah i don't i don't think he was in a lot of things as an actor before that and i think that was only about three years ago so i think this is this might be his first movie um unless he, he i think actually no that's not right because he was in uh malcolm x he has like a small role in that
2: right yeah yeah, yeah. well this is his first leading role oh for sure, for sure. I, yeah i mean and he really makes the most of it i think he's really going to get a lot more attention after this part because I, I think he makes yeah. the most fit. Like I said, he does have his natural dad, dad's charisma. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he I think did he work really with made...
0: Riza at one point too. I want to say, what's but it? I, I, sorry, I think he did work with Riza at one point um,
2: for his on a movie. The Man with the actress. There,
0: there was a movie that came out like a year or two ago, and I remember uh, it was again it was Lionsgate, and I remember when that film came out, they were, we were talking about how uh, it was kind of like a stepping stone between. Um, him working with Spike Lee this year and this film kind of like paved the way for that. But sorry, go ahead.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I'll have I mean, to look like it up the, to remember because I, mean, I so forgot what the I'm familiar movie with is. his work beforehand, but uh, yeah, he really makes the most of it here and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give away too, too much because I think part of the movie's charm is its surprise factor. This is one of those like so crazy it's true movies. The only thing I will mm-hmm. say is um, Topher Grace plays David Duke in the movie and it's quite unfortunate how good he is here he's he's he's, talked about it in like interviews of like it kind of messed him up right Uh, he had to do um a hobbit edit i think to uh yeah that he he was talking about
0: that so he he took the hobbit uh the three or four hobbit movies there are and he did a new edit where it's like two hours long and he was talking in an interview about how it really helped like that was like therapeutic for him sort of right
2: well, I mean, that's because he did that for the Star Wars movies before he that. He did that, the too. Stuff.
0: Yeah, I remember that. And uh, no one's yeah. ever – no one was able to see it except for like a small collection well, of yeah, people Well, yeah, legal online.
2: reasons you can't show it. For sure, it, for sure. Uh, yeah, I shame. mean, I, I'm surprised he doesn't jump more behind the camera as far as I know. I think he Look. wants to. I think he's sort of saying like this is his
0: pra- – I think he's kind of paving his career for like directing – um, because I think like this editing has sort of given him an idea of like how you can start making movies. He, he touched on that a little bit in one, one interview I came across that yeah. like, this has sort of sparked an interest for him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's always I mean, from what I can tell, like he he's always been kind of interested more in like the big picture. Like he's you could tell he wasn't just like he was going into it for acting. I think he's had that ambition for a while and he hasn't really been able to excel because I think I don't know. I mean. I'll support Spider-Man three, but I will say that that wasn't his greatest showcase. I think he's probably <laughs> the weakest link in that film for reasons that aren't really his fault. I think he was just miscast. Um, but I think that's kind of, that brought him down for a little bit. And I think that might've humbled him a little bit and, uh, brought out these kind of great performances like he does right here where he really showcases what he can do. But I'm hoping the next performance they gives make is a character who's a little more likable than David Duke. <laughs> uh, but he, it's like, it's criminal how well casted he is in this movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be in uh, Under the Silver Lake, which is coming out pretty oh, soon. He? Yeah, he, he has a big year. He is like, I want to say like five movies this year coming out and or that either he's working on. A couple are going to be coming out next year. Um, there's a Peter Jason Noble film that uh, he's in the middle of production of. And I think that one I think it's either coming out at the end of 2018. But there's a new film called uh, Mississippi Requiem that he was in uh, that I think is in post-production now. Um, he has, yeah, he's a small role in Under the Silver Lake and you're right. He he has an interesting kind of filmography. He's kind of shown up here and there. You know, he was in Interstellar, kind of in a small role. He showed up in American mm-hmm. Ultra and Truth. And, you know, I, I think that, yeah, this could be the beginning of uh, maybe kind of a career renaissance
2: for that actor. Yeah. I mean, the Grace of Sons are of some kind. I think <laughs> he, he he's so typecast at this point as Eric Foreman from that 70s show that I think he's just trying to push himself and to be. You know, like an actor who can diverse himself and he can't if he can't, he'll probably just go right. directly behind the camera and do something instead.
0: And he never had the, he didn't have the most graceful exit from that show,
2: to be fair. No, I, I heard he wasn't a great co-worker to work with on that show. Yeah. I think that was what I was going for before. Like, I think he had a bit of an ego at that point. Right. And I think Spider-Man three might have humbled him.
0: Well, as far as John David Washington goes, um, yeah, we kind of alluded to it, but I, I can't wait to see. He also has uh, another. movie. He has a couple movies. Uh, one, another one that premiered at Sundance called Monster, that I'm looking forward to. From uh, he he plays. Uh, it, it's it's from that book, um, the Walter Dean Myers book. I think it's also called Monster, and that also premiered at Sundance. Didn't have as much buzz. And then he's he's in another movie called I think Monsters and Men. That premiered okay. at Sundance that uh, Neon is releasing, so it's a big year for Ron David Washington. I think that he uh, or not, not Ron David Washington, John David Washington. He plays Ron Stalworth. Uh, yeah, I, I feel I bad
2: k- for this guy. We keep butchering his name.
0: I you did the first time. I, I know. It. I know. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm mostly blaming myself. Obviously. Yeah.
0: Um. I w- we should also mention this is a bloodhouse movie too, right? Black
2: Lansen. Yeah, it's a legendary picture as well. It's kind of a weird concoction of a lot of uh,
0: producers. Yeah, because then Monkey Paw with yeah. Jordan Peele. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's one of those movies. If it does get award attention, which it very well, very well might, I don't know who's going to get like the uh, credits if it gets a Best Picture nomination. But uh, yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of people involved from a production standpoint, but you really can tell it's Spike Lee's movie through and through. And that's yeah. really one, like when you can tell Spike Lee is inspired. He's making a movie that's passionate and angry as he can be. That's that's really when he can stand out and be his best. And I don't know if this movie is quite his best, but it's very good. Um, I'm going to give it a B plus. I'm between a B plus and an A minus. I might it might move up to an A minus the more I think about it because I really don't have too many complaints. But um, I just don't know if it's quite there yet. But it's it's really good. I hope more people check it out.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, it's going to be hitting the Bay Area this next week. It's it's one of our movies coming soon. Um, it'll, it'll be, uh, I think actually a kind of a wide release for the Bay area. It's going to be in like areas that don't usually get this like first round of limited, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this one. I, I based on the, like it, it premiered at Cannes Film Festival and it, uh, it won the Grand Prix. So I, I could see this one, you know, really jiving with the Academy and maybe getting some Oscar attention. Um, do you think that might be the case?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I was, I think I was alluding to that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just wondering if it's going to be, I, I'm just hoping it's not going to be a case where it's like only Tover Grace is recognized. Not that he doesn't deserve it. It sounds like our Detroit conversation from last year. A little bit. Uh,
0: which got nothing.
2: Yeah, I know it's true. It was ultimately for not. But, um, yeah, I, I think it definitely has the potential to get a lot of recognition. I think certainly for best screenplay and best picture and uh, maybe best actor and best supporting actor, but it's too early to know for sure. I mean, we'll have to have that the conversation later in the year but it's certainly a possibility. All right.
0: All right, moving on. Uh let's talk about sharp objects. Uh this is a new mini series uh that has come out on HBO some big names attached and I've been watching this one and loving it. I've been waiting to talk about it since it's a little bit more into its uh, into its release and uh, this is from Gillian Flynn's uh, debut novel, um, the first one Flynn did, which is uh, also called Sharp Objects. Oh, uh, oh, it's her debut. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was her first. I, it was her first book. Um, I think p- people know Gillian Flynn much better, probably for Dark Places, for Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but she was actually a, a TV critic for Entertainment Weekly. I, I feel yeah. like that gets lost in the conversation sometimes. Um, that's kind of that. how she got her start. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this new this new miniseries, uh, it's been getting a lot of buzz because mainly because the the lead performance from Amy Adams um, has been something else. Uh, I I really really respect Amy Adams as an actress. I think that she has had not an underrated career. I think people do recognize just how just. Fantastic, like how such a great performer she is. Like, very, yeah. and she's gotten a lot of acclaim. We should be super clear. I mean, roles right. like uh, Doubt and rival and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but really, I, I think Sunshine Cleaning is probably my personal favorite. Uh, oh, really? Her. You're a
2: Sunshine Cleaning guy.
0: I really, really love that movie. I revisit it at every couple of years, honestly. Oh, really? Um,
2: yeah. I- I've only seen it once. I don't remember it too well, to be honest. But I, I, reckon, I remember liking it.
0: I remember checking it out again. It's one of those movies that uh, it's kind of comfort food for me a little bit. Sure. Um, I, I think that she and Emily Blunt are just, they're just, stunning. it's kind of like Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis. <laughs> they, they bring such okay. a wonderful chemistry and energy to each other. Uh, in this show, uh, the other lead performance is Patricia Clarkson, who plays her mother. And it's kind of a haunting performance, honestly. Um, so this this show is about a crime reporter who lives in St. Louis, Missouri. So right off the bat, one thing I really enjoy about this show is that it's definitely a location that you don't usually get to see much of, uh, Missouri. Um, she goes from the big city. She grew up, though, in Wind Gap, which is kind of a small town, and she's assigned by her uh, boss at this uh, newspaper to go back to her hometown, and investigate a pair of murders that have been going on in the town and so she goes back to her childhood home she has to uh kind of not reconnect it's probably too generous of a term but uh sort of recollide with her mother dora who is a kind of the town's like socialite she really cares about like appearances and things like that she also reconnects with um the half-sister that she she never was really close with who's much younger than her and A lot of great performances here. Um, Chris Messina, who people might remember from Blame, uh, the film from uh, Quinn Shepard that came out earlier this year. Uh, He has a a lead role here as well. No, it's probably a supporting role is more fair to say. And so far, there are uh, four episodes. um, And I've been going through it, and it it really is pretty wonderful. I think they're just doing eight so far. So it's about half in. Um, I highly recommend people go check this one out. It is a very chilling kind of moody and really atmospheric film and a location that you don't usually get much out of. It, it kind of reminds me. So so two things about it. it. It does sort of have the like setting, the kind of like wonderful setting of uh, Columbus, a movie that I really enjoyed because of its unique setting. Uh, but then it also has a lot of the like Gillian Flynn, um, i don't want to say tropes but like the things that she usually goes to in her writing you know there's a murder mystery there's kind of an investigative wing to it um it's got it's hbo you know so you kind of get the sense of like true detective and things like that the material though is it's less about the mystery and it's more about the suffering and self-harm of the amy adams character the show takes you back to her childhood a lot um and she's played the young actress who plays her. I'm blinging on her name. You remember she was uh, the young girl in it. She played Beverly.
2: Oh yeah. I know who you're talking about. I can't think of her name either though.
0: Um, I, I can't remember it. Um, I'm looking at the cast list and uh, I think it's Sophia Lillis. Um, I, and I think she she was played Beverly, but uh you know, we talked about when it came out um, that I I was very much like Amy Adams should play the older version of her because they just happen to look very, very similar. Um, and as it happens, the sequel to it is going to be um, her adult character is going to be played by Jessica Chastain, who is like the it's like Which a weird debate. Um, yeah, you're more of a Jessica Chastain. Um, it's such a weird conversation to have. Um, you're more of like Jessica Chastain is obviously who Sophia Lillis grows up to be. I think Amy Adams as a ringer we both got what we wanted in the end Will Ashton because, yeah I mean uh, she
2: does look a lot like Amy Adams to be fair
0: yeah I think I think you could say I you know she it's it's not just the red hair we're not just being tried. no mean, it's, I know it's the eyes as well I- yeah um uh, regardless uh Sharp Objects I don't want to give much, too much away it's it's the kind of show that uh if, if you're into the sort of Gillian Flynn universe of stories uh this is more great content and uh, it's one of the best uh, one of the best performances I've seen from a lead actress on an HBO show in a little while. I would say that it's, a, it's probably, in a, hopefully, I think it might get some Emmy attention. I think it would be deserving probably. of that. I know there's another Amy Adams show that uh, more people have seen. I always forget what it's called. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's one that like came out a few years ago and then they did the second season like way after. I'm totally hmm. blanking on it though.
2: I mean, I know she started a career like on shows like Supernatural and stuff, but yeah, yeah, and then I think Catch she
0: Me did. If You Can was probably her her breakout role, I want to say. You think so? Yeah. Well, Junebug was the first one where people were like, oh, this girl. Right, is, that's where she got the Oscar is, nom. Right, and then Enchanted was her first, like, okay, she can carry a movie. But I think Catch Me If You Can was where she, like, I think that might have been her first role. Um, I'm not entirely sure.
2: Uh, maybe her first movie role. She certainly did right, right. TV she stuff. She
0: was but... definitely in Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh first time I saw her was probably on That 70s Show, if we can bring it full circle. Yeah. Um, but okay that's sharp objects uh, definitely worth checking out and uh, I think we have one more movie for you finally we're going to talk about don't worry he won't get far on foot Uh, you saw this one will I missed it Uh, should I feel bad about that
2: oh yeah I mean I think you say finally because we were going to try to talk about it um, during our mystery episode but unfortunately it didn't come to my area at the time but now it did and I can finally check it out Um, it's a new Gus Van Sant movie he uh, is adapting a memoir of the same name by John Callahan, which I ended up reading a couple about a month ago. Um, it's uh, let's see. It's Walking Phoenix is the main guy who is this quadri- quadriplegic cartoonist who has come through like adversities, like a, like you said, obviously being um, quadriplegic and an alcoholic. And he became this world renowned cartoonist. And it's such a fascinating story. And I think what really made the book stand out for me was his perspective, because he has like this kind of uh, pitch black sense of humor about everything that isn't really like edgy like a lot of people are right now. But it's more like him just trying to take all this terrible stuff that uh, happened to him and make the best out of it, find the optimism in the darkness. And I think that's a really kind of interesting perspective. And I think the one thing that really is missing from the story is his perspective, I think. Mm. The movie itself is – it gets lost, I think, because it's somewhere between a traditional biopic and a traditional Gus Van Sant movie. And I guess it's kind of the mending of two of Gus Van Sant's kind of qualities where he makes movies like uh, Elephant and Jerry, which are kind of out there and bizarre. And then he makes movies like Milk or like Good Will Hunting, which are a little more traditional. And this one ultimately ends up somewhere in between. I would say not really for the better. Um, It also stars – Rooney Mara, Jonah Hill, um, and Jack Black, who I think is maybe steals the show, honestly. Oh, wow. Uh, he only gets like two or three scenes, but he really stands out. Um, there's – I don't know. I mean there's a lot to like here. I mean the main reason I wanted to see it was not only because I read the book but because I do really like this ensemble. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone does a bad job. I think Jonah Hill's performance is a little uh, unclear at first. I, I don't, I didn't necessarily get what he was going for until like towards the end when he gets a really powerful scene. But – um, there's things in here to like, I mean, the weird thing about it was that it was initially conceived as a, uh, biopic, or not biopic, uh, a project for, um, Robin Williams. When he had got the Oscar for, uh, Good Will Hunting, he came to Gus Van Sant and was like, hey, there's this project from this book, I really want to do it, I think you're the right person to do it, and because Hollywood is the way it is, it just didn't come together, and I guess when he passed away, uh, the producers were like, hey, do you want to finally tackle this movie. And I guess he did it partially as a tribute to Robin Williams' legacy. And I think you can kind of tell, like, I think as good as Walking Phoenix can be, you can kind of see this is a project made with uh, Robin Williams in mind. And you can tell by the way the script is written that has a lot of uh, like a very 90s sensibility that is a little more distracting than it is charming, I think. But I mean, there's things here like I think the style is it's weird because like the movie doesn't take a straightforward linear uh, narrative approach. It slices everything up. And there's a t- there are a couple times where that can be effective, but I think overall it just kind of makes the narrative a little jumbled. And I don't think it's it really gets the impact of a lot of individual scenes. It feels more like sil- silhouettes than like a co- uh, cohesive story. But mm-hmm. as it stands, it's not bad. I just kind of wish it was better. It's more just like a shrug of a film where it's like, it could have been better, but it could have been worse. Ultimately, I think it's just okay. I don't think it's what we could have gotten, but... At the same time, we could have gotten worse, so I gave it a C plus.
0: Okay, I, you know, I still really want to check this one out. Um, I think it's
2: worth checking out if you're interested in the project.
0: I, you know, I one of one you mentioned the ensemble, and uh, first of all, I I was already interested in this one because Danny Elfman does the music, and you know, I'll I'll listen to anything that Danny Elfman scores. Uh, but it sounds like I should probably just check out the, the uh, soundtrack. Danny
2: Elfman, you said? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, and it, it, this is an Amazon Studios film, so eventually it should be coming to Prime Video, so that's probably when I'm going to wait and catch this. I, I yeah, was, you don't need to see I, the see theaters. I, yeah, I had a pass to go see this at the, the, film, the San Francisco Film Fest, and um, it ended up being one of the movies I kind of traded to go see something else. Um, yeah. But I do really like Gus Van Sant, and I love Rooney Mara, and I love Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix, of course, starred in one of my favorite movies of the year. You were never really here, and you know, I've always been interested in these two actors together. Um, I know, let's see, I think her was probably the first movie they were both in They're They're together in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I was Um, gonna say they're a couple. Yeah. And they're going to be together in that Mary Magdalene film.
2: Yeah. Which Um, may never get released in the U S
0: which is very interesting. Yeah. I know Chiwetel Ejiofor is also in that, but I mean, this is that I think that it's, I, I don't understand how a movie like Mary Magdalene can, who, who greenlights that, At this point, Um, regardless, I I don't know. I
2: I I mean, there is an audience for that type of film. I don't think they're ultimately going to get it because of like legal issues. But I think if they somehow found a way to release it next Easter, they might get like a quick buck out of it.
0: They have to know that the backlash is going to overshadow any quality the movie might have. (laughs) I don't know because it's it's not like a pure flicks film, right? So like I don't see it. And these aren't exactly lion, right? And these aren't actors who are normally attached to these films that like are sort of tapping into like the white evangelical audience so i, I don't know i don't really i don't really see that working I, but regardless uh i i am much it's it's <laughs> i don't know how to articulate this really i deeply respect rooney Maher and joaquin phoenix they, they've been part of some of my favorite films the last decade okay mm-hmm. and i think that they they consistently get attached to good projects and so it, I don't know I guess it just kind of bums me out that like one of the movies I, I was looking forward to this movie because I was wondering if this would be like the first time they're together in a film and they're like actually together where we could maybe see something kind of reminiscent of like you know like the, the films of classic Hollywood where you have these two actors who are together in real life and you get to see that chemistry unfold on screen these yeah. days it doesn't happen as often successfully in my opinion um, you can counter that but um, no, sure I, mean, can think I, think, of I think you're right.
2: No, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's an example or two I think you could list, but it's escaping my tongue at the moment. Um, I think if you're going in just for that angle alone, I mean, I don't think you are, but, I mean, nah. just looking at that perspective alone, I think it's fine. I don't think... I think the biggest problem with that is that Rooney Mara's character isn't really fleshed out. Because, like, in the book, she only has, like, one scene, and it's not really clear if she's, like, a real person or not. Because mm. it's, like, at the height of... um. John Callahan's like injuries and his medical process yeah so like there's like a they they expand her character here to give him more of a uh romantic fling which I think kind of backfires in some ways because it just makes her character seem like almost like a manic pixie green girl at times the, but, the trailer um, I think definitely Mar- gives that impression of her yeah yeah I I, I mean it's it's weird because I think it's one of those things where I think it works better in the book because I think it's going for something a little different. But in the movie, it it's OK. I mean, they have clear chemistry together and I think there is a charm to a relationship. But I wouldn't see the movie just for them alone. But I think if you like them and you're just going to be charmed by them.
0: All right. Well, that's uh, don't worry. He won't get far on foot. And uh, that's a C plus from Will. Uh, so far, I think Black Klansman in this episode has been probably the movie that we we most recommend collectively um but yeah I hope uh, you check it out. yeah yeah i definitely will all right so here are our films coming out next week uh there's a lot this week um which is interesting because uh right before we did this episode i had it all listed out and uh it looks like a lot of studios um took their indie films and just like dumped them on like the august 10th release schedule so but the big movie this week is still the meg uh which is a new film from warner brothers wide release this weekend um this one's from john turtletop uh who yeah if you heard that um you might be thinking of Jack horseman she mentioned earlier um but of course john turtletop did uh he he's he's definitely like a you know, well-known filmmaker. I think people probably best know him for Cool Runnings and Think Big. While you were sleeping, uh, he did both the National Treasure movies, and uh, he, his his last few films haven't been uh, very well received. The Sorcerer's Apprentice and Las Vegas being two of them. And uh, the the screenplay is kind of all over the place with this movie, The Meg. It's uh, it's the Hober brothers, uh, James Vanderbilt and Bell Avery. It's it's a big like the titular shark it's a big beast of a movie it seems uh production wise uh but this movie uh, has been kind of in the works for a long time it's based off of the steve alton novel meg a novel of deep terror yeah, which is about from, uh
2: 1997 i think right
0: yeah and it's a, like yeah the jaws era which is interesting um it's about a huge prehistoric shark like 70 feet and this movie they've been wanting to make this movie for years uh gravity pictures uh, was able to uh, co financed this film with China and uh, they they, attacked, they, uh, they tapped turtle top to to helm the film so the the plot is appears to be extremely thin it's just about a group of researchers who it's kind of like a deep blue sea situation they come across the megalodon of the film uh, jason statham uh is the main character here he's trying to rescue everyone and defeat the shark uh, pretty basic uh winston chow also stars lee bing bing rain wilson ruby rose Paige kennedy jessica mcnami uh quite a few others ed cliff curtis i i don't know i, I I've been kind of back and forth with this. The trailer definitely does better to sell this movie than I think anything else does. Would you say? Well,
2: yeah. I mean, I, when I saw the trailer, I, I, it's one of those trailers that seems to be attached like every movie I go to the theater to see. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I see a trailer, I give a different response to it. Sometimes I'm just like, "Oh, this just looks so dumb," yeah. and sometimes I'm like, "This looks dumb, but it's gonna be fun." And then I don't know. I, I, I feel like it just depends on what mood you're gonna be in because the response seems to be pretty strong. I see it tomorrow. I'm going to go in, you know, kind of hoping for a fun, goofy, late summer flick. And I think that's what it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be substantial at all. But I think it could be a lot of fun.
0: I'll be refreshing Letterboxd, uh, just waiting to see what you think. Um, Okay, the other one of the other wide releases this week is Slenderman. This is from Sony's um, Screen Gems distribution studio. Uh, this is from French filmmaker, a oh, French American filmmaker, should say Sylvain White. Uh, people probably know him best for Stomp the Yard. It's probably his best film. Also did The Losers and His Miserere. Best film. Well, I've, I've never seen Miserere, so I
2: don't know. I like Stomp the Yard. Whatever. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, you don't okay. like that film? I'm not crazy about it, but. Um, I, okay, for what yeah, it's trying yeah, to be, it does have some it. charm. I mean, yeah. it's not the worst film by any means.
0: No, no, The Losers is a pretty terrible movie. Uh, it's um, okay, yeah. The screenplay is from David Burke. Uh, this is uh, about the uh, the internet-inspired supernatural meme character. Uh, it originated as a creepy pasta internet meme. Uh, it was created by Something Awful Forums user Eric Knudsen. And it's, it's one of those weird, the Slender Man story has like kind of invaded real life. I mean, it's gotten kids uh, to like murder other kids in real life. And it's, it's pretty ridiculous stuff. Um, But there's a movie coming out about it. And I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this movie was supposed to come out later this month, or at least maybe even September. And I think they just moved it to August kind of last minute, but it was also delayed. It was supposed to come out in May so I, I I don't know. Well, I, I don't think this one's going to be worth checking out based on
2: what I've read about it. Yeah. I mean, the trailer looks laughably bad.
0: I haven't seen um, it. Yeah, I've
2: avoided it's, it. It's a pretty ridiculous trailer. Um, I just don't like why now? Like this should have come out in like 2012, right?
0: Right. It feels like it's kind of missed its moment. Yeah.
2: Like <laughs> like no one really like people talked about Slenderman when I was in high school and like that's it. Like, I don't hear anyone talk about Slenderman anymore.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we referenced creepypasta, like what, what how is that still? Yeah. Um, but okay, that's Slender, man. Yeah, maybe we'll find an audience. Uh, and then we have one more wide release and that's dog days, which we had a, <laughs> I, I kind of had a weird goof where I thought this was like another diary of the wimpy kid movie.
2: And uh, yeah. I literally
0: messaged Will and I was like, Oh yeah. Diary of the wimpy kid. And Will's like, John, that movie came out like six years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You were like something like, I don't know if, our fans are really a big fan of that series. And they're like, what series?
0: <laughs> yeah, this is not a series. This is a dog. Days is about dogs. Uh, this is from Ken Marino who, uh, is an actor turned filmmaker. He, uh, he also, he directed how to be a Latin lover. Um, which, uh, I don't know. I didn't see that one, but, uh, this is his second movie. It was uh, just okay. It was written by Alyssa Mitsueta. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, I've heard it's better than like overboard, but, um, uh, which is, Never saw that one. Yeah. Overboard was that movie that came out the remake. Obviously, No, I,
2: I remember. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. It wasn't that long ago, but anyway, uh, this one is set in LA. Uh, it's about, uh, it's an ensemble feature. Uh, I think Nina Dobrev and, uh, even Long Longwear, I think they're supposed to be the main characters. I, I know Vanessa Hudgens is in this. I haven't seen the trailer, but Adam Pally, Rob Corddry, Tone Bell. Oh, so many people are in this. It's a big movie. Um, Phil and Wolfhard really enough, the stranger things kid. Uh, It's an ensemble about a group of people who kind of come together by the love of their dogs, I guess. Uh, What do you make of this one, Phil, Uh, Will?
2: Yeah, I've seen the trailer a couple of times. It was actually attached to my showing of Christopher Robin. Um, I don't know. It just looks really cheesy to me. Like, I just find it weird that is involved because I feel like this is the type of movie that he would make fun of. Like Mm -hmm. a comedy like Wet Hot American Summer or uh, They Came Together. Like, it's like something those filmmakers, David Wayne and them, would make fun of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. It, I didn't realize until I saw the trailer that's PG. I thought it was going to be like a PG thirteen thing. So I guess they're just aiming for like all audiences. And okay, whatever. I mean, yeah. It it doesn't seem like my type of thing personally. I'm going to skip my screening for it because that's the same day as the Meg. But I don't know. I mean, it could it could be a it could appeal to people if they just want something pleasant and light. There's a reason they call August
0: the second January of uh, the year. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's just where sometimes studios will just dump. Movies because, well, you know. Yeah.
2: I will say like January usually has a reputation for I guess now they've they've pushed past it, but usually it's just like movies they know suck and they just want to see if they can make any money. August has a reputation of just being like, We have no clue if this is gonna make an audience or not. So just throw in August and see what happens. Right. That's so, probably the key
0: difference. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um that's dog days. Uh yeah, this is an odd I didn't mention, but it's from L D Entertainment. Um, and then we have we have a bunch of limited releases. It's gonna kind of breeze past most of these. We already talked about Black Klansman. Uh, that's going to be hitting in limited release. Uh, it's a focus features film. And uh, definitely excited to check this one out and maybe have a follow up conversation about it. Uh, there's also Madeline's Madeline. Uh, this is from Josephine Decker, um, and the screenplay is from her as well, and Donna D'Nivoli. Uh This was at uh, Sundance, the Berlin Film Festival. It's played at a bunch of places. It's like an art house drama about a theater troupe. The, the trailer is kind of insane, but uh, this is yeah, an lovely trailer. Film. Yeah, this is an Ocelop Labs. Movies, so it, it definitely looks like it might be worth checking out if it hits your uh, your local indie theater. Uh, there's Skate Kitchen from Magnolia Pictures. Skate Kitchen was uh, also at Sundance. Um, it's about a uh, an all-girl New York City-based skateboarding crew. Uh, so this is pretty interesting. Another female director too, uh, from Crystal Mozilla who did uh, the doc film The Wolfpack, uh, which I've heard good things about. Um, and then uh, she also worked on this hey, with Jen Silverman and Aslan and Aldi. Yeah, so you saw it, great.
2: Yeah, yeah, oh. actually, I saw that one by accident. Once, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, it's actually quite a good documentary.
0: All right, yeah. So th- that's from Magnolia Pictures. I uh, definitely want to check out Skate Kitchen. I'm less interested in Summer of 84. Uh, this is a new limited release from Gunpowder and Sky. Uh, it's from the filmmaking collective known as RKSS. Uh, so that's Francois, Samiard, Anyuk Wassel, and Johan Carl Wissell. uh They did Turbo Kid, which debuted a few years ago at Sundance. And. I don't know about this one. It premiered uh, at Sundance um, for the midnight category. And I've heard kind of mixed things, but some good things. Um, It's it's been described as a mashup of Stranger Things, Stand By Me, and The Goonies. Uh, It's one of those like 80s movie. It's like based about the 80s, summer of 84. Uh, Group of kids. There's a serial killer. You get it. Um, I'm not really excited, honestly. But uh, are you going to check it out?
2: uh, I mean, I like Turbo Kid. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but it's a charming little like uh, retro 80s. Knock off that. I guess they're just going to try to do that again yeah. with this movie. I don't I know if it'll like work. I just feel like I'm 80s out, honestly. Oh, me too. But I mean, if, if the movie's fun, then it'll be fun. But
0: yeah,
2: I, I could do without all the 80s nostalgia stuff at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Elizabeth Harvest, which this is one of those uh, indies that kind of got put uh, on the schedule last minute here. Uh, it's coming from IFC Films. Uh, it's from Venezuelan filmmaker Sebastian Gutierrez, who did uh, Hotel Noir. Uh, It's about a woman who's about to get married to a brilliant scientist until she finally opens a locked door in his home and discovers what's behind it. I really like that synopsis. I wanted to give it word for word there. Um, (laughs) It looks interesting. It's Abby Lee. So uh, it might be a good uh, foreign film to check out. And then there's prayer before dawn. Uh, this is a last minute limited release from A24. I don't think it was supposed to come out this week originally. Uh, this is from French filmmaker Jean stephanie Sauvage, and it's uh, I totally mispronounced that. Apologize. <laughs> um, he did Johnny Mad Dog and Punk. Uh, it's also from uh, written by uh, Nick Saltrice and Jonathan Hirschbein. And uh, it, this one's really interesting to me. It was shot in a real Thai prison, starring the actual inmates. The trailer is kind of bonkers. Um, this played at Cannes Film Festival uh, and last year actually. So it's kind—they've of, kind of been like finding a time to release this with A24. So I, I'm not quite into it, I guess. It's—it's it's based on a true story. It's, there's like a young English boxer character. Uh, he was really in this prison, and he like trains to be a competitor. The, the trailer looks really interesting, but yeah, I'm kind of worried because of the delayed response or the delayed release i guess
2: um yeah, yeah. no i mean the, i heard the trailer is pretty crazy so I'm you should check it, check it
0: out that. it might be one of those situations where the trailer is much better than the movie i don't know i could see that um but okay that's uh that's it for movies coming out next week quite a lot to get through um <laughs> definitely won't be able to catch all of these but uh hopefully we'll be able to talk about them at some point point. and with that that is our episode of cinemaholics thanks as always for listening Uh, if you like our show uh, don't forget to send us your questions for our Q&A episode coming up Uh, you can email us anytime cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com let us know your personal professional questions and reactions to this episode and uh, hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter the links to our social pages are in the show notes if you like our show and you want to continue consider becoming a patron go on uh, patreon.com the link is in the show notes for that as well Uh, and consider donating to our show and helping us stay on you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts iTunes Stitcher wherever podcasts are sold and uh, we always deeply appreciate it and that's it for us this week from the internet california i'm john negroni
2: and for the internet pennsylvania i'm washington
0: for maverick Hines, who had to step out we'll see you next time